0: So good af- morning, good afternoon, and good evening to all of our listeners all over the world. We um, have the privilege at the RevAmp podcast to host Mike Dickerson, the CEO of the global marketing technology firm Click Dimensions, where he's helping partners um, and marketers get value from Microsoft Dynamics. That's a lot about what Mike does today as CEO, but he also has... Uh, lots of experience before starting uh, being the CEO of Click Dimensions. So Mike, take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how how
1: you became the CEO of Click Dimensions and and your history. Fantastic Well, Barry, it's great to be here with you and uh, looking forward to having a, uh, a good conversation. Uh, I've been the CEO of Click Dimensions for five years now, um, and I was brought in by a private equity firm Excel KKR who had bought the company Um, and for my career um, I've been in either CRM and marketing technology or uh, collaboration technology. My first company, you know, ostensibly had nothing to do with uh, CRM. It was an apparel company that made stuff with pro sports teams logos on them. But the thing that made us successful was we built our own CRM that allowed us to get the right uh, products, get the right cross sell, get the right upsell, and even though we were an apparel company, we had, uh, you know, 15 developers working full-time on our CRM. Um, I'm going to date myself here because this was back in the in the late 80s. Um, so, you know, from that time all the way forward, I've, uh, you know, been an investor in uh, email marketing and marketing technology. I've run a uh, marketing um, technology business for a New York stock exchange firm. And then uh, after that, I joined Click Dimensions. Um, This is also, uh, I know, uh, you know, one of the things that you'd asked me about uh, a while ago was uh, about Microsoft. And this is my third time in uh, the Microsoft universe as a partner and a competitor um, all at the same time. So, um, uh, you know, Click Dimensions seems like uh, it was a very natural place for me to land.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about Click Dimensions. Um, am Sure. Uh, Soon, for our listeners, we're going to talk about also the Microsoft world, uh, because that just is interesting and and a little different
1: than usually what we get for our podcast guests. So I'm excited. Sure. So um, Click Dimensions uh, started off uh, with one guy working out of his basement Uh, An entrepreneur and and his his partner typing on his keyboard in his parents' apartment in Tel Aviv, Israel, and they had a simple idea. They had been um, early Microsoft CRM partners, and they saw what was happening when they would come up against Salesforce, and Salesforce was a better brand, a more known product in the CRM. World. They also had two things that often caused uh, the Microsoft side to lose deals. They had email marketing. They'd bought Exact Target, and they had marketing automation. Uh, they'd bought Pardot, and these guys had a pretty simple idea: let's copy Exact Target, let's copy Pardot, but let's do it natively on the Microsoft Dynamics data platform. And um, uh, that had a benefit that uh, uh, there was no uh, data. Um, uh, integration issues, you're working off a common data set, uh, you're working out of the same UI, things were visible to everybody. But the other thing that it had that was probably even more important than the technical benefits uh, was that it opened up a global partner channel that allowed the company to scale pretty massively without a lot of, uh, uh, out of, a lot of capital. So um, uh, that was then. Uh, Microsoft CRM and Microsoft have come a long way. And um, you know we're now 11 years into this company, and and um, looking forward to sort of the the next uh, the next chapter of our story, um, as many of us are post COVID.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's really interesting, and um, love that love that that's like a business model. Take what Salesforce has, and and just put it onto the Dynamics world. Is is that a business
1: model that you've seen a few times? Well, I talked about that first company, we just basically took uh the best designs of Adidas and and Nike and instead of putting a swoosh on it, we put the University of Colorado on it. So maybe maybe that's uh you know, maybe that's something maybe that tells you something about me. Um, <laughs> you know, the uh what is it the um uh there's some comment about the experts borrow, but the masters steal or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it is useful to find patterns in other businesses and apply them. And um, um, so I, I do think that's a, um, you know, understanding business models and saying, Hey, can I, what can I learn from that business model and, and apply it to this context? Is there relevance? I think that's a useful skill.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And do you see, I guess, is that gap of Salesforce, Uh, Microsoft. Does that happen a lot where there's some features on Salesforce that aren't on Microsoft?
1: Um, I I think a a lot less uh, today. I think there are strategically some things that are very different about Microsoft's approach to business applications and and Salesforce's approach to business applications. And I think it's going to be a a pretty interesting um, uh, sort of battle over the next you know, it has been, but I think it's going to be even more interesting over the next five to 10 years and uh, all for the benefit of customers on both sides of the, uh, of the equation. I think that, you know, um, the DNA of the two companies is pretty different. Microsoft is very much an IT-oriented, an uh, infrastructure-oriented business, which means their approach to business applications is, is very much around data and the importance of data, the ability to do AI on data. And to move data and big quantities of it all over the place in their Azure, you know, hyper clouds, um, that's a, a you know a, a certain a very engineering oriented way to solving things. Whereas Salesforce, uh, you know, started off much more with what's the user trying to do and how do we make things easier for the user and how do we you know get rid of IT um, or, originally and the the, the DNA of those two companies is still very evident in how they're dealing with the context today, even though, you know, Salesforce arguably is a, you know, is a very focused on data company. They bought MuleSoft, they bought a lot of other folks, um, but, but the roots of the companies are, are still um, driving the distinctions today. Mm-hmm. That's, that's
0: really interesting. So then I remember like teams, for example, that would be, I guess, a product that would be more, focused on like the Salesforce world, if you will. And I remember when COVID started that Teams was, I believe offered for free or added to a package that most people had that were using Microsoft. And that's kind of Microsoft and correct me, you um, you know the Microsoft world a lot more than me, but that seemed to be more of a, we're gonna focus on the user kind of play But that. Is that something that you, you see happening?
1: Well, yeah, and it's interesting. You know, I, I said that my sort of two career themes had been marketing technology and uh, collaboration. So I've been working with uh, collaboration technology and Microsoft back when they had live communication server and then link and then Skype for business and now Teams. And they finally got it right with teams or, you know, it's, by the way, it's not perfect, but they've really done an amazing job. If you had told me that Microsoft would be able to scale to billions of users on a daily basis in a real-time collaboration, if you told me that five years ago, I would have said no way because they they've tried it and failed, but they really did a good job here. To your point, I think there's a big difference between Microsoft and the productivity applications. Think of Teams, think of Outlook, PowerPoint, Word, things like that, where they always have uh, had more of a of a user orientation. The business applications, think CRM, sales, HR, finance, things like that, field service, um, they, they definitely bring an IT orientation to those as opposed to a user problem and domain. Um, so I think that's a really key insight that you call out, and I think one that's that's you know important and defines uh, one of you know, Microsoft's strengths, um, you know, is is that they do have productivity and they do have collaboration. They're, you know, uh, if not the best in the world, darn close to it in that area. And, you know, every business application, whether it's sales or whether it's HR, needs collaboration. So they, they've really started to blend those together and take advantage okay. of them. Salesforce, uh, you know, this is one area where Microsoft has had a lead and, is, is, and Salesforce has to catch up as opposed to CRM where Salesforce had the lead. And, and by way of that, Salesforce bought Slack. Um, you know, that was their approach to collaboration. So um, again, they're both headed towards um, similar components of their solutions, but their DNA <clears throat> is very different. Um, Microsoft, uh, you know, if the battle, if the fight is collaboration, Microsoft's in a good shape.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll have to um, buckle our seatbelts and, and join the ride for the next few years uh, and yeah. see what happens. And it, it's definitely quite interesting. So, um, th- this I think would be a good time to transition to something. Um, one product that Microsoft Dynamics doesn't have today is, is a CPQ. Uh, that's something that uh, Click Dimensions is a customer of Deal Hub, where they um, DealHub, for our listeners, just in case you don't know what Deal Hub does, we are a CPQ and we also sell a deal room. Uh, CPQ stands for Configure Price Quote and lets uh, large sales teams or even mid-sized sales teams quote accurately at scale through business workflows, approval workflows. And with the deal room that brings the buyers and, and sellers into one place, people can close deals with eson technology uh, they can bring lawyers together and they can um, also grant the generated uh, document or sales proposal, digital sales proposal. So that's a bit about DealHub. The thing I wanted to talk with Mike um, today was that about specifically how DealHub is bringing the um, how it addresses the buying teams that are not fit and selling teams also. Right. The buyers and the sellers that aren't physically present. So the remote world that we've all been experiencing for the past two years, can't believe I'm saying two years, but it's been two years. And um, how Deal Hub can help move deals along, but through a certain process, I guess the buyer-centric sales process we were talking about before, the, before this uh, podcast, how DealHub um, helps as a technology to move deals along uh, in the remote world and remote selling world we're in. Um, so that's a, a mouthful, <laughs> but um, I'll let you take it, Mike, um, yeah. the path that well, you think is most interesting.
1: So I, I think there, there are a couple things that I'll, I'll sort of weave together here and I'll, I'll start off with a little bit of a provocative statement. Um, as a technologist, um, you know, and it's funny, we were just t- talking about the challenges oh. of CPQ um, and how complicated some of those things are. But what interested us about DealHub was something um, um, a little different and it does have to do with the, the buying process and how that's changed and why it's so important today, post COVID where people are remote. And so um, you know, with the not belittling the, 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 the trickiness of, of doing what it takes to configure and price and quote, I wanna talk about the impact of the way DealHub approaches things on actually winning deals. And here's what uh, the, the couple of things that, that we saw. Um, and I'm gonna start first with the most basic. And that is that every seller in a B2B world is creating a proposal. And it, if you make a, a more aesthetically pleasing proposal and one that's easier to work with, with lawyers or with multiple approvers, we're uh, getting signatures electronically. If you do that, you increase your chance of winning, and you reduce friction. So, just that simple thing is applicable to every salesperson. Here's what's unique um, today in the in the you know the world that we live in, where we believe very strongly that the DNA of buying has fundamentally changed and is not going back. And by that, we mean that um, you know there were some trends that were underway uh, before COVID that have now become accelerated and permanent. Let me give you one. Um, Folks, buyers want to uh, research what they're buying uh, themselves. They want to be in control of that process. And that means that they want to be able to do their own research um, and they want to control the time. That's, (laughs) But they want everything exactly when they want it they don't want to have to look for things too hard they get frustrated if it's hard to find so it's um and and they want to talk to a human when they need to talk to a human so basically they are both more independent and more needy and one of the things that deal hub does that's fantastic is that it allows you not just to create a beautiful looking proposal but to create that hub that deal room and at various points in the buying process the company and the team of people that are buying are going through different stages. And, you know, you mentioned the buyer-centric sales process. I'll, I'll weave these two together. Um, they you know, this, the, the concept of a buyer-centric sales process is that you, you really need to map your sales activities to how the company buys. And whether they have a formal process with a procurement department and all of that stuff, and it's really mapped out um, with gates and things like that or they do it ad hoc, they are going through a process. And uh, you know, a standard sort of thing is that you know, uh, we tell people there are you know, five sort of things that you have to go through. And um, you know, the first one is, hey, are we going to invest any time to actually think about buying this? And am I interested enough to get my colleagues to want to join in and spend their time? Am I going to use my political capital? that's the exploration process. And at the end of it, it's when the company has said, yeah, um, we're willing to get into a commercial process. Um, And so that's, that's one example. The second would be problem definition. And whether companies state it or don't, there is a problem that they're trying to solve. As a seller, we teach our people, hey, make sure you understand the problem. And if the buyer doesn't understand, the company doesn't understand, Try writing it down for them and get them to agree, yes or no. That's one way of getting it. I just bring those up is that those are things that at each stage, the buyer, the company has gone through a hurdle and there's evidence that you can test along the way. Now, what does that have to do with the deal room? The things that you're trying to do to get colleagues to decide hey, should we invest our time to buy whatever it is these guys are selling? The information that they need is different than when they are evaluating five different alternatives. One of the great things about a deal room is that you can put the information that's relevant for where that company is in its buying process. And you solve the, the, the problem of you know, the, the champion who says, hey, I really think we need to buy the stuff these guys are selling, but I need these other five people to agree with me. And I need my CFO to agree. And they're not interested. They didn't wake up thinking they needed to buy this stuff. How do I convince them? And if all that stuff for that stage of where they are is in the deal room, it just reduces friction and increases the chance of winning. And the ability to go from that to when they're in evaluation stage, and now you, you know, magically happen to have, you know, here are the five questions you should ask this competitor, and here are the six questions you should ask this competitor, and here's how we fare against them. You're, you're able to guide them in, in a concierge fashion through the buying process in one location. So we looked at the summary is when we uh, looked at a at, uh, at, um, at deal hub and frankly, we had just implemented another CPQ and we saw deal hub and we saw you know what we could do to upgrade the, the proposal experience, but more importantly, what we could do to manage that buyer-centric sales process through a deal hub. That sold us and we, uh, we ripped out what we, re, what we had installed three months earlier and went to DealHub. So um, that's been our experience with DealHub and, and we think that it uh, you know, is, is even more relevant in this world where not only is buying tough to begin with, but people aren't together and you need to be able to quickly find the digital information.
0: Yeah, um, I'm really happy, one as an employee of DealHub to hear about your experience, so that makes me uh, delighted. I wanted to go into some of the details about um, about what you were saying. One thing that I was thinking about is that you said it helps win deals. Can you be more specific on that? Is it a that it helps win deals because the sales velocity is faster, and that's the piece that increases the win rate? What would you say about that?
1: Yeah. So I think it it um, it reduces buying friction by helping um, the buying team through the process. I mean, by, you know, especially in, um, you know, in companies where the buying process is very um, organized, Uh, you know, for those of you who deal with enterprises, you know, there's an RFP process and they'll tell you we're in, we're in RFI stage right now and we're in this stage and we have these things. Well, it's just a nice tidy place to have the right information at RFI stage. And now you're going to the next stage here. We have it. Oh, we now have uploaded all the technical documentation because we're going through the evaluation process. It just makes it uh, uh, easier. Uh, and the the, the, the the competitor that has the information in an easy to find well-organized place is going to do better than the competitor that sent a bunch of emails with attachments that got lost that didn't get sent around to the one other person. So I think that, um, you know, just from a simplest uh, perspective, you, uh, you know, you can execute on uh, making it easier for the buyer to do their job. That's if they have a process, if they don't have a process, you're guiding them through the process. What, you know, our experience, and I think there are plenty of, plenty of other sales consultants that will say, tell you this is whether you think there's a process or not, there is. And if you haven't, um, if you haven't helped walk the customer through that, uh, you know, they get down to, oh, we're all ready to sign. And somebody says, well, wait a minute, did we evaluate other companies? Oh, no, we didn't. Well, you might as well, you know, guide them through those things. And so, you know, our experience, and we sell a lot to SMBs. Is they often don't have a formal process. And by sort of starting off things by saying, hey, we know you're going into a buying situation. Have you bought stuff like this before or not? And if the answer is no, then we help work with a joint action plan to help them walk through it. And we go ahead and and say, you know, uh, here's the competitors you should think about. And and we try and anticipate all of that stuff. And Deal Hub helps us do that because we kind of, you know, turn the chapter when they get to different parts in the process, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I um, read recently that um, a Gardner report said that 50% of enterprises by 2025 um, will have a digital sales room, they called it, uh, which is in essence a deal room where it just brings the buyer and the seller together to help in this remote world, uh, selling world that we're in today. Uh, So that's really interesting. And then... um, yeah, so it's really interesting. One, one place where I've seen it that people really like it is that you just have to, I guess, answer a few questions once and then it generates all the, all the things, all the asks that you need for the whole buying committee. So whether that be like the specs, if it's like a manufacturing, so it explains what the product is, you don't have to find those attachments um, because exactly like you said, and then that helps with the velocity because then you don't have to ask for it. Yeah. Um, then you just uh, continue the process because it's all right there. And it's all up to date, and it's all one link in that. So um, that's really interesting uh, the way you guys use it. Do you feel like um, so? My next question, I guess, is this is a Microsoft question. Do you feel uh, that Microsoft buying committees are bigger um, than other committees? People that use Microsoft CRM coming from the IT world,
1: or is it just a different yeah. committee? Um, I, I think that uh, if you if you look at Microsoft D three sixty five for sales customers, and if you look at where Microsoft is playing these days in the business application world, you know their move is very much up towards enterprise, and um, you know they, they've uh, and they've done a, a pretty good job of that. Now they were coming from a pretty small base against SAP and Oracle and Salesforce and other folks like that. Um, so, you know, they've always had dominance in, in operating systems and now cloud and dominance in productivity and their business applications was a smaller part of their business. It's grown a lot. And what they've really done is they focused on the larger enterprises. And we've seen that in what they've done with their sales force, where they've reallocated people from the mid market to the enterprise. Um, we've seen that in their partners, uh, they've really pushed their partners to become more enterprise focused, and they have a great enterprise story starting at the data layer and business applications, and this concept of power platform, which allows big enterprises to write their own, you know, custom things. Um, so it really is beneficial for the large enterprises, and that's who the partners, uh, Microsoft Dynamics, the business applications group people, who they are, who they're selling to, and so to those customers um you know these uh, uh that uh, sort of a deal hub concept is is uh is particularly important um you know it's much more so imp- it's it's even more important i think for the larger enterprises than it is for uh you know the smb
0: mm-hmm. yeah that that's interesting cuz i guess just because it's a larger um a larger buying committee in that sense
1: Larger buying committee, and, and I, I would also say that the customers. If you were to look at um, the the breakdown of the the industries where Microsoft really dominates, um, uh, you know, there's there's some where Microsoft has a big share and Salesforce has a big share. There's some where Microsoft is really strong and Salesforce you don't find that often. And interestingly enough, manufacturing is definitely one of the areas that Microsoft is pretty strong in, and manufacturing. Typically has more complicated CPQ requirements. Um, number one, and so if you take that plus the benefit that we talked about about how to organize a buying process, you know, I think there's there's uh, you know an opportunity for partners in the Microsoft ecosystem to use DealHub uh, themselves and to sell it to their um, uh, recommend it to their uh, to their customers, especially in some of those industries like manufacturing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so,
1: Mike, I think there's a lot I can learn from
0: you. I um, know there's a lot to, I can learn from you, and I hope our hey, listeners uh, got to um, understand better about the buying process. Understand better about your your background and your history. Um, I really appreciate you joining, and hope to uh, stay in touch. Fantastic. Thanks, Barry. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. 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 Um, to everyone listening, we'll. See you next week.